New Year's. If your heart turns from the Lord in 2019, here's how it will likely happen. The text I want to study, it's a fascinating text. In John chapter 5, John 5, we're going to read 33 right through to 47. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Jesus is the speaker. You sent to John, he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He, that's John the Baptist, that he right there. He was a burning and shining lamp. You were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Okay, remember that. Jesus says there's, there's this witness so the problem with their unbelief is not, it's not a lack, can you read that, of evidence. It's not a lack of evidence. That's not the problem. Keep reading. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. So there it is again. More evidence. Oops, I did it, didn't I? There. His voice, you have never heard. His form, you have never seen. You do not have his word abiding in you. That's a little judgmental, isn't it? For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You... You search the scriptures, okay, they do that, because you think that in them you have eternal life. And then here this is again. They that bear witness of me, more evidence. So that's three times he said, you don't lack evidence. That is not your problem. Three times. You, you search the scriptures, okay. It is they that bear witness about me, yet... You refuse to come to me. So it's refusing to come to me that you may have life. Who refuses life? Now, in the first, from the opening of that text to verse 40, you have Jesus analyzing the problem. That's what we've been talking about. There's evidence, there's evidence, there's evidence, yet you refuse to come. You search the scriptures. But you still refuse to come to me. You're religious. You're, you're, you're in the word. But you refuse to come to me. Now he's going to start in, in 41. He's going to start talking about why all this is the case. So he's just been spilling about the problem. There's a, there's a blindness. There's a hardness of heart. There's a refusal against all the evidence. 
They don't have God's love abiding in them. He just says it bluntly. What is the cause of all of this? That's where we're at now, 41. I do not, oh, here we go. I don't receive glory from people, Jesus says. But I know that you do not have the love of God in you. So first he said you don't have God's word abiding in you, remember? And now he says you don't have the love of God in you. Even though you search the scriptures, nothing, nothing is working. That's what Jesus is saying. Let's keep going. Someone else comes in his name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? Remember the first thing Jesus said about himself? I don't receive glory from people. That's what we just read. You guys, Jesus says, that's different. You receive glory from one another, but you do not seek the glory that comes only from God. You do not seek the glory that comes only from God. There's your problem. There's your problem. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. And this is a surprising thing, too. There is one who accuses you. Moses? Moses, on whom you have set your hope. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for you wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Here's another text. Two, John 12, same subject now. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. There's a kind of belief that they had in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. In other words, there'd be a price to pay. Why? What was their root problem? And you'll see now it's exactly what Jesus was talking about. For they loved, see, the glory that comes from man. Right? That's what Jesus was talking about. This is your problem, he said to the leaders. They love the glory that comes from man, and here's the important, more than. It's comparative. More than the glory that comes from God. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare. You don't see this. It's kind of hidden. But it's, it's the fear of man. That's the same as um, this. Right there. The fear of the Pharisees, right? You following me? I, I know it's uh, last Sunday of the year, but just. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. More. Proverbs 27 21. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold. So you, you, you have a crucible for silver, a furnace for gold, and it melts it down. And, and you might think it's pure gold or pure silver, but when you apply the heat to it, you realize there's all sorts of other stuff in there that bubbles up and has to be skimmed away. Okay? The, they, they reveal, they test those metals. Now here's what he's saying. And a man is tested by his praise. You love the glory that comes from man, Jesus said, twice. A man is tested by his praise. Last one. 
Romans 2.29. This is not a little theme. That's what I'm trying to show you here. Paul writes, and we're not getting into this whole subject that he's dealing with. We do that Sunday night in Romans. A Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit. So how do you know? How do you know if the Holy Spirit is working in your... Here, we, here you're sitting. Is the Holy Spirit working in your life? How will we know? Do you measure it by this? I put my hands up when we sing. That's good to do, by the way. How do you know if the Holy Spirit... A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. You can't see the heart. But the Spirit, not by the letter... His praise here, oh, here's the test again. His praise is not from man, but from God. That's another way of saying he doesn't seek the glory that comes from people. Take the word glory, because might, you might be tripping over that. Let's set a different word there. You, you crave the approval of people. You crave acceptance with people. More than approval and acceptance from God. Popularity rather than the smile of God. That's what all of this cluster of texts is about. Let's pray. We have a lot to cover, not much time to do it in. Holy Spirit, come. Take your word and, and, and in, a, in a gracious way, and it can be gracious, slice, slice your word into our hearts so that it, it doesn't sit on the outside but gets on the inside of our lives with, with impact and fruitfulness. In Jesus' name I pray. Everyone said? If you're going to fail the Lord in some overt fashion this coming week or this coming month or this coming year, the most likely reason for that failure is found in those verses. Let me try and string together some important thoughts. One, I thought about this wording this point because my points tend to get long. I said this, I think, as best as I can say it. And I, and, I, and, I, and I mean this. Love of reputation among my peers is the greatest tool of the devil in my life. Not internet porn. This. A love of reputation among my peers is the greatest tool of the devil in my life. I want to review now some of the texts that we've already kind of pointed at quickly. These are the words from Jesus. How, how can you believe when you, when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? And I hope you notice the two verbs. They're very different. You receive glory from one another. You just drink it in. Easy. But you don't this is effort, right? This is different. But you don't seek the glory. You're not thinking about this. That's what Jesus is saying. To these religious people. 
You, you can have your rules and your regulations and go through the motions without, without thinking about res- seeking the glory of God. One of the outstanding features of the gospel, oh my goodness, is, is, is the way it conveys God's love for the most unworthy people. That's us, by the way. Jesus didn't just embrace good people. And everyone said, Whew. He, he showed, in fact, a, a particular interest. As if to make a point, he showed particular interest to really bad people sometimes. Really undeserving people. And people like us. With the coming of Jesus was linked the coming of fresh hope for everybody. He didn't just hobnob with the proper people. He reached out to improper people. And while he never excused their sin, a lot of people get that mixed up. While he never excused their sin, he reached out to thieves. He reached out to crooked tax collectors. He reached out to prostitutes. He reached out to swindlers. He reached out to lowlifes. And he made them candidates for forgiveness. This, in fact, was what really upset the religious crowd of Jesus' day. He had time and he had compassion for people they didn't think qualified for his time and his compassion. And if Jesus was really God and really holy, he would know what was going on in these people's lives and he would just keep his distance. Thank you very much. Jesus would just reach out to them anyway. Nothing could stop him. Nothing could stop him in his eternal quest to put broken lives back together and give them eternal life and grace. And where I'm going with all of this is it should be very striking to us when Jesus labels anybody as hopeless. We ought to go, wait a minute. People who are unable to find help. People who are incapable of believing in him in a saving way. You see it? Jesus rarely spoke words that hopeless sounding. You can can hear the desperation in his voice. Maybe it cracked. You can see tears in his eyes. How, How can you people ever believe in me? John 5, 44. Hope for the woman caught in adultery. Hope for criminals on the cross beside him. Hope for Peter who would curse that he ever knew Jesus. Hope for people with legions of demons. All could be reached. And then here, Jesus comes to a particular group and says, How? How? How can this ever work for you? How can you ever believe? It's like when you're going through a parking lot and it catches you unawares and they just put one of those really fresh speed bumps and you're kind of sailing and on and all of a sudden, whoa! That's what what this text does to me. How, How can you possibly believe? What hope is there? He said they didn't have 
God's word abiding in them, 38. They search the, isn't that, they, you search the scriptures, but you don't have God's word abiding in you. And we're meant to go, what, what? They didn't have God's love abiding in them, 42. They could not believe in him, 44. What had gone so wrong? What had gone so wrong? And here it is. They were more concerned about what people thought of them than what God thought of them. Oh, man. I, I guess I'm getting old. If I, could get, if I could get every person in this room under 30 and say, you will never, ever go an ounce offline if you just constantly care more about what Jesus thinks about your life than what anybody else thinks. Look around to somebody who's got a lot of white hair and they're nodding right now. And a lot of us learned it the hard way. You will never, never go wrong if you can constantly care more about what Jesus thinks than what anybody else thinks. That's where these people are going wrong. What Jesus meant by that was these people would change their behavior to please people long before they would change their behavior to please God. Does that make it pretty direct? People don't do that, Pastor Don. Let me just give you a silly little illustration. I'm not thinking of anybody here. It's just an illustration. But it proves this point. Here's, here's, some, here's some poor, desperate soul. And he's up in the bedroom and he thinks no one's home and he's got his computer and he's scanning all sorts of internet sites that he should never be on. And he's watching in that lonely, lonely kind of sex. All sorts of things he shouldn't be looking at. And he won't stop. Then he hears the garage door open and his wife comes home. And she's coming up the stairs. Hi, sweetheart, are you home? She says. And immediately, click, turns it off, clears the history button. What happened there? He will instantly change his behavior to save face with his wife. When all along God was with him. Do you get what I'm saying? He wouldn't change his behavior for that. This happens all the time. Craving glory from people. Rather than the approval of God. Jesus looks at people who would walk over hot coals to please the crowd but wouldn't get out of bed Sunday morning to go to church. They wanted their bosses to be proud of them. They wanted their spouses to be proud of them. They wanted their friends to continue liking them, but they could continue for long stretches ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so you sense the urgency in Jesus' words. It mattered to him. These aren't light, unemotional, detached words. They're, they're deeply passionate ones. He says, the fear of man keeps people out of the kingdom.
and the fear of man, by that he doesn't mean afraid of them like people are afraid of diseases. He means they're afraid of others in the sense of, I won't be admired. I won't be accepted. I won't be approved of. Something else in these verses, point number two. People will abandon convictions before they will abandon their reputation in front of the crowd. That's what this means. People will abandon their convictions. That's who you are when you're not in church, when you're doing your business, when you're making money, when you're with friends. You're puny if you'll abandon your convictions for the success with the crowd. I love the story I read. Humorous Mark Twain, the peak of his popularity. He was an atheist, brilliant atheist. At the height of his publishing prowess, he was still spending more money than he was making. And he was constantly after publishers. And at the end of one correspondence, he said, describing what he wanted to write, and they weren't approving of it. And he said, well, these words represent my convictions. However, if you don't like them, I have others. (laughs) Now, look at these words. Nevertheless, even many, even of the authorities, believed in him. There's a kind of belief. They like Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. But but what was at root? What was their real problem? Well, they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. There it is again. There it is again. We're meant to take note of those comparative words More than. Right there. These were good people. The the text kind of makes it clear that there were people who, there was some level of acknowledgement of Jesus. Not just one or two. It said many leaders believed in him. but, But they had a love for Jesus that never got off the ground. Didn't work. They, they sort of wanted to follow Jesus, but they, they never put legs on their conviction. They, they lived with the gnawing awareness that they weren't deeply authentic in their faith. And here's what did them in. They had good positions. People knew them. They had a name, reputation. They were leaders, it says. That's what that word means. They were in the upper crust. They were respected. Especially by people who counted. They were respected. But for all that, they were very small, pathetic people in one sense. They were so influenced by their associates that they would go against the demands of loyalty to Christ. They would would snuff out the inward voice of the Spirit of Christ when it meant saving face when it meant not paying a price. So, so here's the life lesson. Everybody, 
the one you seek to please has the power over your life. Okay? The one you seek to please has the power over your life. These people believed in Jesus, but they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue by the Pharisees. They didn't want to lose their position. The one you seek to please has the power over your life always. And that's the issue Jesus is drilling down into in these verses. The the issue of these verses is, is the control of your life. The issue of these verses is your freedom in Christ. These are freedom words. They're about what causes half-baked discipleship. The fear of man. The love of praise from any source other than God. The, The propping up of your security and image in the eyes of the crowd. Maybe for prosperity, monetary gain, acceptance, whatever it might be. That's what keeps you from receiving the glory that comes from God alone. There's glory for you. But a lot of people will never receive it. The fear of man will have you led around by the crowd. Your own convictions won't keep you afloat. Your Bible knowledge won't filter into your actual lifestyle. You search the scriptures, Jesus said, but you, you don't have the word abiding in you. Is that you? Search the scriptures, but you don't have his word abiding in you. It's not accidental when you read Psalm 1, you know, about all the wonderful effects of God's word and meditating on God's word, that the psalm doesn't actually start with God's word. It starts with, that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Sit in the seat of scoffers. You, you, you have to deal with the fear of those things if you, want your, if you want the word to put roots on your life so you're like a tree. You can't go in two directions. All God's good influences, prayer, his word, fellowship of the church, the accumulated wisdom of friends who try to help you out spiritually, none of those things has enough counterweight to overrule the fear of man. Three. The fear of man is a snare because its its dominion is hidden from the view of others. Proverbs 29 25. The fear of of man lays a snare. Whoever trusts in the Lord is is safe. Safe from what? Well, from that snare. You notice the polar opposites in that short little verse. The fear of man lays a snare. Trusting in the Lord brings safety. And the kind of safety listed here isn't safety from flood or disease or fire. It's it's safety from being kept from the huge spiritual blunders that you don't see yet. That's why it's a snare. The blunders that come from seeking glory that comes from others rather than the glory that comes from God. 
Here's the rub. To walk before the Lord in safety, you have to, you have to pay the price of relinquishing the praise of all others right now. And, and, and the problem is, it's always short-term, it's always initially easier to delight in the approval of others than to seek the glory that comes from God alone. And that's because the crowd gives its applause or approval or blessing right now in front of everybody. You get the approval of smiles. You get the approval of friendships. You get the approval of admiration. You get the approval of closing deals. And all of those things feel great. And you never have to work through the embarrassment of having your own convictions stand out. You won't lose any friends. Not now. That's what makes this snare so deadly in the present walk of discipleship. Uh, Imagine people right now who are caught up in maybe some kind of immoral conduct in any church. Maybe they've been involved for weeks or months and suddenly they're found out. And they start to feel the weight of their sin. They want to repent. They want the church to rally around and love and support. And it's not that their sin suddenly became wicked. It was destroying them all along. That the sin didn't trouble them last week because nobody knew about it. The sin only troubles them because now the crowd knows. It's going to come out. But God knew all along. That didn't bother them. And that fear of the Lord, seeking the glory that comes from God, it would have kept their lives safe and clean all along had they given it the chance. Think of the person who lies and twists the truth and eventually the secret gets out and the truth starts to come out in spite of their deceitfulness and they start to feel embarrassment and remorse Finally, they come clean and they admit their guilt. But until they were found out, they were happy to keep singing and praying and worshiping and going to church. And then when the truth comes out, everybody goes, what in the world happened to Pastor Don? If they feel bad because they grieved God, then why... Would they only repent when people found out? Isn't that a good question? God wanted to forgive. God was grieved a long time ago. But, but they didn't seek the glory that comes from God. So the writer of Proverbs says the fear of man works like a snare. It, it, it's effective because it's, it's hidden. It's underground. Nobody sees the damage or the bondage until it's too late. So the, the, the fear of man is a sin that cuts down below the outward actions to, to the root that feeds those actions. It has to do with motives. Just consider this for a minute. There will be people here today who will find some area of their walk with Jesus starting to fall apart in August 2019. It's just for sure in a crowd this size. What I'm saying this morning is that that doesn't have to happen. It's not August yet, and that doesn't have to happen. 
And if it does, nobody but the Lord will trace the spiritual collapse back to the fear of man that started tripping them up, not in August, but in January of 2019. But they didn't seek the approval of God alone. This sin, I believe, gets as close to the heart of what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 23, 25 to 26. I think it's the same subject. It's not a different subject. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First, clean the inside of the cup. And the plate, that the outside also may be clean. And you notice the way Jesus deals with the inward motive sin first. It's the only way the outward life can possibly stand up. Jesus tries desperately to to, to open us up, crack us open, to expose the source of outward compromise and weakness. Point number four. The test of who you are is the one you live to please. Proverbs 27. We're almost done. The crucible is for silver. The furnace is for gold. Man is test. Who tests, by the way? Who's doing the testing? It's God, right? Man is tested by his praise. You ever walk around with your phone and all of a sudden you hear this ungodly... It's a test. That's what this verse is doing. Here we all are, wondering about our inward condition. How's the Holy Spirit working in our lives? How safe are we for 2019 spiritually? And here's the test. Here's the test. Whose approval gives you the most delight? There's nothing else that matters. There is nothing else that matters. Whose approval gives you the most delight? That defines you as a Christian. This is the place where spirituality is tested. This is the the laboratory. Let's be clear, though. Let's be clear what the test is and what it isn't. The test isn't professing, I believe in Jesus. The test isn't even singing songs about how much you love Jesus, as good as those are. No, the test is the furnace that melts down the gold and exposes its purity. The test is my readiness to lay aside anything else in terms of the esteem and the acceptance of my peers, my friends, my image in the eyes of everyone and actually only live for the smile of my Father in heaven. The the test is whether I'm willing to please God at the expense of self and the acceptance of others. Do, do Do you live your whole life before God alone? I was, no, I can't do it. Five. The essence of 
praising is prizing. Here's one of these great texts. It's a theological text. The essence of praising is prizing, and here's one of the great life lessons for all of us. It's, it's not what I say that marks my truest praise and worship. It's the relationship I'm least willing to betray. That's worship. The relationship I'm least willing to betray. That's the point that Paul makes in this verse. A Jew is one inwardly. He's saying it's not just being genetically Jewish. A Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of, of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. So how do you know if your heart is the working ground of the Holy Spirit? Well, his praise is not from man, but from God. The whole Old Testament pointed to this blessed day when the law of God, his holy will for my life, wouldn't just be some external set of rules that I tried my best to follow. Where, where my, it's not that I'm anti-law, but my love for God, love carries its own compulsion. It's not a legal compulsion. It's a love compulsion. So it longed for that day. My heart would actually be transformed by the Holy Spirit to, to, to start to delight, to please him, to walk in his ways. My greatest joy would be found in pleasing my Lord. I would gladly displease anyone else to please the Lord. That's the new heart. Do you have it? So in this verse, Paul writes of the bestowing of a new circumcised heart, he says. We don't use language like that anymore. And it's sometimes hard to put a specific meaning on it. But Paul's whole point is this new heart is what, this heart is what makes a person a child of God. His praise is not from man. There's, there's this titanic shift. Praise is not from man. My, you don't steer my life. Your acceptance, your approval, your disapproval, God, God steers my life. The new heart isn't bribed. Its security isn't rooted in the praise that comes from man. It lives here, but it's not rooted here. Supply all this and we're done. Smart Christians are constantly analyzing this work of the Spirit in their hearts. David, let, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, now here's the important point, be acceptable in your sight. You see whose approval he's, see what he's praying about? Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. I don't do it all the time, but I frequently get up. When I get to the office here, I close the door, and that prayer comes to my mind. Because I'll, t I'll tell, you what you <laughs> tell you what you find out. You find out in a, in a decent-sized church that 
that there'll be a group of people that want this, and there'll be another group of people that want this. And if you do what this group of people wants, they will love you. But these people didn't want what these people wanted, and they will think you're the Antichrist. And, s and sooner or later, y you can't be hard-hearted, but sooner or later you have to have some conviction of, of pleasing the Lord as best you can. Y you, can't, you can't live. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Here's the last verse we're going to look at. We're going to be done in three minutes, three and a half minutes. Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's all I have left in my sermon right there. It's important to stop and check how you're hearing words of familiar texts like that. I mean, the words matter, of course, but it's never just the words. Never make the mistake of thinking those words, I have been, I have been crucified. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Never mistake those as words of a, a sad man who just sort of sits and has got his head down moping because he had to give up everything that was good and fun in life to follow Jesus. That's not what those are at all. Those are the words of a man who found the long, lost, hard secret of freedom. The fountain of spiritual youth. Live all your life public and private, make sure it's all the same piece, public and private, and that all you crave is the smile of God over everything and everyone else. And you will always be clean, and you will always be safe, and you will receive abundant entrance into the kingdom of glory when your short, brief life is over. And everyone said... <laughs>